0: All right, here we go. Retired Chief Pat Kenny. I'm Jim Bernica. This is APS radio on fire engineering. I'm so glad to have you on here. I just saw you a week ago live in person. Yeah. So, you know, this is still good though, senior in virtual land.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. I got all dressed up for you too in the festive garb.
0: That's right. Cause this is a big week for you, right?
1: It is. It is St. Patrick's day week is we're, uh, we're only three days out as we're doing this now. And, uh, It's a a big week for me and a big week for my family.
0: Can you expound on that a little bit?
1: Sure. So when we uh, went through our loss with our son, Sean, um, we almost lost him during the week of St. Patrick's Day. And for our family growing up, uh, this what I'm wearing now is a dress down. I mean, my dad was always dressed to the nines and everything for St. Patrick's Day. My mom, very, very fancy dress and everything. I mean, it was a big even when it was a weekday. It was, like it is this year it was a big deal and sean was found on march the 11th he had uh, left the group he was in and took an overdose and they called us and pretty much said you need to get here right away and when we did um he was on a ventilator he was gasping around it he was he was as pale and gray as you could be and really in my mind he, would, he was gone and that was the morning of signing dnr papers that was the morning of of trying to rally family members to come see him. It was a morning of taking him up to the ICU unit and so people could say goodbye. Um, And it was the morning for me to whisper in his ear, it's really okay, you have fought your rear end off here and that's a body that is just failing you. You need to go and I'll take care of mom, I'll take care of the boys, go. I'm really proud of you. Really tough stuff that you don't, even though I knew and we knew at this point he was very very ill to be standing there over your son on a ventilator and realizing you're telling him to go is um I think you go into shock because otherwise you wouldn't get the words out of your mouth so we did that we did that for 24 hours and all of a sudden the doctor came in and said i want you to tear up the dnr and i was like well, why would i do that i mean it took everything i could to sign the damn thing and he said no he's trying to come back so we, we we're going to give him a shot so yeah absolutely ripped it up and For the next five days, we tried to take him off the ventilator and it didn't work. So the final day they were gonna do it ended up being St. Patrick's Day. And they said, if he doesn't come off the ventilator today, you'll have to find a place for him to be taken care of. And that's how he'll live out the rest of his life until he stops breathing. And I, obviously somebody who had a great faith and I'd been leaning on God through his whole journey was as angry as could be and didn't hold back on any of my Irish Going in that direction to him and going, God, you can't do this. You can't do this to him. You can't do it to his mother. You can't do it to his brothers. This is not fair. This kid has fought his rear end. He's done everything you wanted him to do. You need to take him home. So, St. Patrick's morning comes. I decorate um, his room. It was funny because one of the nurses was like, What's all the decorations for I'm Like, serious? It's St. Patrick's Day, really. It should be a national holiday for Grandma. Get all done with the room, and uh, and now it's time. Um, It's go time. And the big, big tough guy, the guy who wears the cape, um, he couldn't stay in the room. I ducked out. My wife, Eileen, the real hero of our family, went in there, and my niece, Sarah, happened to just get there, and she wasn't afraid either. She went in, but I stood in the hallway because I knew what was going to happen, and I couldn't bear to watch it. So all of a sudden, as I'm standing out there, facing out, trying to get prepared to how I'm going to tell my wife that we need to find a place for him, I hear a cough. And then I hear another cough, and I'm sure it's got to be the nursing staff. Finally, like a little kid, I peeked around the corner, and when I looked in, he was off the ventilator, and He had this big, beautiful, his little boy smile on his face when he was healthy. And he was looking at, at a hideous St. Patrick's Day tie. Yeah, this one's a little loud, but this one was hideous. And I go, are you laughing at my tie? And he shook his head and I was like, oh my God. Now, what I didn't notice at this point was the whole room was already crying because I believe nobody else in that room thought he would breathe on his own either. And I just went racing over to him and just squeezed him as hard as I could. And they were like, it's okay. He's back now. You, you, need, you need to go home. And St. Patrick's Day then took on a rebirth a give back. We got our, our son back. And the next day was the most powerful. He called in the morning, very raspy voice, scared me to see the hospital number. And he said, Are you coming to see me today, dad? And I'm like, Are you kidding me? And we raced down there. And when we got there, he we was sitting on the edge of the bed. And he was very agitated, hard to make sense out of some of the things he was saying. And I was concerned. He'd been down for a week, he had used drugs, oxygen deprivation, he punctured a lung when he was in the coma. I thought, oh no, I knew it. This was too good to be true. He doesn't even know what he's saying. And Eileen as usual was like, Pat, just be quiet. And she's like, Sean, what are you trying to say? Sean Kenny, I saw Sean Kenny. Like, oh no, he didn't even know who the hell he is. And she was looked at me with that look. And she said again, no, Sean, you're Sean Kenny. What? He goes, no, no, looks just like dad, but younger. She said, who looks just like dad, but younger? He said, Grandpa Mike. I lost my dad when I was 14. Sean went on to describe a man he had never seen even a picture of. He'd seen pictures of my dad when he passed away in his 50s. Heavy set, hair thinning. Um, My dad was a great athlete in Ireland. No more that athletic build. The guy Sean described my dad in his late 20s to early 30s when he was just one heck of an athlete. He said, he had such big hands. And I remember vividly as a little boy when my dad would take me places, hold my hand, and I felt like he, his hands were just the biggest things in the world. And my wife said, did he say anything to you? And he said, yeah. So we sat on this concrete bench with these advertisements behind it. And he said, tell your dad I'm sorry I had to leave him so soon. And I don't care what anybody says about oxygen deprivation, the drugs he took, hallucinating. You, you tell me whatever you want. That bench was something my dad and I sat on all the time because my dad never had a license. So we always took the bus. Sean knew nothing of that story. He, those benches didn't exist anymore. And yet he described it in detail. And the emotion when he said, tell your dad, I'm sorry, I had to leave him so soon, he started to tear up. Like he was delivering a message he was told to deliver. And then my wife said, did he say anything else to me? He said, yeah, he told me I need to come back. So St. Patrick's Day will always for me, it was growing up, it was a fun family holiday. Then you go away to college and it becomes a drinking holiday. And then you get a little older and you got little kids and you're not doing that anymore. And although my, all three of my boys were very good at pouring a glass of green beer out of the keg with a head on it. Um, and then we made that transition to now that day will always mean new life to me and a gift um, to get Sean back. It wasn't for long, but to get him back. And, and even more importantly, I always wondered if my dad saw what I was doing, if he really saw and could recognize graduating, getting married, having kids, working my way through the firehouse, getting promoted to chief. I always wondered, I hoped he had, but now he delivered the message that he was watching me and uh, powerful, powerful, especially when it was time to let Sean go for finally, because I knew this time grandpa was waiting for him and he wasn't going to have to come back.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that that is powerful.
1: Yeah. It, it definitely changes the holiday. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I want to note too, before we go any further, cause we just jumped right in there. Yeah. He- heavy stuff right away, which is great, which is what you are. Um, I want this, this is going to be a little bit different. Um, if you're interested in hearing Pat share his story of Sean and his wife, Eileen, you know, uh, there's a book we'll go over that, but, uh, PJ and Frank had a great podcast with you Christmas time on yeah. fire engineering. And where you really, you talk about that story. I want this to, to kind of, if you will be the um, like the DVD extras sure, so sure. behind the scenes, you know, we'll build on to what they already talked with stuff with you. So I want to just touch on that real quick for our listeners and viewers. So they understand that. Yep, absolutely. So going back, staying on the St. Patrick's Day topic, I mean, what are you going to end up doing this Thursday?
1: So I always started off by going to mass. I always do. I, I always go and I say a prayer of thanks for getting him back because I didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen. And I was at peace with myself about he was going to go. And then I was at odds with this God. I thought about, about you're going to leave him like this and how unfair that's going to be. And, and there was that miracle. So I didn't have the, I talked a good game, but I obviously didn't have the faith as strong as I thought it would be. Um, and then we usually look for a, a, a little place any that changes. Um, Some place that's playing Irish music, because both my parents were from Ireland, and it reminds me of them. And when when my son passed, and and Eileen, I always always kind of believed that they live in Ireland now. And uh, so it, it, it makes me smile. Uh, it can bring tears too, but it, it gives me a warm feeling like I'm reconnected with the people who are on the the other side. So it's it's kind of simple, um but I like it better that way, frankly.
0: Good. Good deal. You know, you mentioned in there you talked about Sean seeing your dad. Yeah. And by seeing you now a few times and and, and talking to you and reading your book like more so than I think anybody else that I know, you are into signs, into things happen for a reason um things have meaning to them like you pull meaning out of so many many different things would you mind kind of discussing that as well because that is it's truly interesting and it's and it's not just coincidence the stuff that happens to you
1: yeah it's funny because i always tell people i don't believe in coincidences i used to a long time ago i believe now everything happens for a reason i don't many times understand the reason. There are loads of times I don't like the reason. I always kid about whoever lands up behind me if I'm lucky enough to get to heaven is gonna have a long wait because I got a lot of questions before I cross over. to go, you tell me why this happened. But I found from a really early age um, that things would happen that there was no real good explanation for that gave me hope. Um, From the very beginning when I was depressed and thought I was going to be taking my own life all the way through growing up uh, even testing for the fire department and having a a proctor, you know, call out names and not call out my name and me raise my hand and him call me up and I go up there and he said, I called your name. And I said, No, you didn't. And he said, Well, you're what's your name? I said, it's Patrick Joseph Kenny. And he looks at the envelope and goes, where the hell did I get Michael from and handed me the envelope? Well, my dad's name was Michael. And I can't even describe to you the feeling I had at that point, like as I walked to sit back down in this gym full of 300 people, everybody wearing a fire department shirt except the high school teacher who was dressed like the geek like this. I knew I was gonna pass that test and I was gonna be one of the people hired and I was. And there's no doubt in my mind, he took the test for me. And I've followed along all through my life when things have been a struggle, I've looked for something and gone, there it is. Might be somebody who entered my life 25 years ago and we had a casual conversation and all of a sudden when I really needed something, that's the person who stepped forward. And there's just no, to me, there's no coincidence about that. You get people and things placed in your life. It's just a matter of though, having the courage to go, that's what that is, as opposed to making an excuse about that's what it's not. And for me, I have grasped and really embraced the idea of that's what it is. And, and I've had people honestly, Jim who who've challenged me and gone, well, that makes you feel better. That's good. Um, I don't look at things that way. And I'm like, that's fine. I I get it. Um, but I couldn't keep going. If I looked at it the way you do, I have to look at the way I do to put one foot in front of the other.
0: Very good. Let me ask you this, um, kind of change the direction here. Sure. You know, you made a promise to, to write a book. Yeah. And um, I want to kind of just go over that, um, if you don't mind, just the, how this book came to be. Uh, I mean, you were you were given an objective, and I want you to kind of talk about that, and and then just the process of of doing this before, because before you wrote this, I think you've written a few articles, right? But writing a few yep. articles, like I've I've wrote, you know, several articles, not a big deal doing something like this is terrifying it's a monumental task that i don't you know i don't even i wouldn't even know where to start
1: well that's and that's so you you led right into that very well the uh when we talk about signs and so my wife the day before she passed before she went into the coma had gave me five different things that she wanted me to do it's not really the other ones aren't really important the one we're talking about it she said i want you to i want you to write the book i'm like I have trouble writing a Christmas card. What what do you mean you want me to write a book? And she said, I want you to write the book about Sean's journey. And she said, you go out and you talk about, because at this point when she became ill in 2016, we had been on the road, her and I, for about seven years doing doing Sean's talk. And she said, it's just not gonna work because you can't handle doing it over and over again. There's only so many people you can reach. It's not gonna be good for you, write the story than anybody in any country can read it or listen to it or whatever. And I, we'd been married for 35 years and I thought I was pretty good at at saying the right thing to get around things. So I said, okay, promise I'll try. And she looked right at me. She goes, "Uh uh-uh, you have to promise me you're going to do it. Like, "I, I just don't know that I can. And she said, promise me. So I did Honestly, once she passed, I thought, well, okay, heaven is all about forgiveness. So when I get up there, hopefully she'll forgive me because I ain't going to do this. And so years went by, we're three years down the road. And I'm in in 2019. I'm actually in my HR director's office, Ellen. And we're having a conversation that neither one of us can remember how we got to this, but it had nothing to do with a book or with signs. And we started to talk about a friend of hers who had written four different books about signs and in her connection with that and her guardian angel that she really felt and it, those were fiction books but it was based on that theory of, of somebody she had lost very dear to her in an accident in college so I shared some of mine and she said you know you should meet her I, I think you two would really hit it off so so where does she live and she literally only lived 30 minutes from me so I put it off and I put it off and I put it off and finally I'm like yeah I need to go have this meeting so we we went and we met and first 30 minutes were uncomfortable, um, not knowing what to say. All I wanted for her to say was, no, you have no basis to write a book. That's what I was praying for in the parking lot when I walked in there. So we went through everything. I told her the stories and she looked at me. She said, oh no, you need to write that book. And I'm like, that is not the answer I wanted. And she said, no, you have to. And I have somebody who will help you. She helped me with my books. So she said her name's Shannon. She's up in Toronto. I'll give her a call. Okay. So I took some of those things that I had written and uh, I, I called Shannon, very nice lady, and said, I'm going to send this to you, take a look at it. I go, I really don't want to waste a lot of time on this. if There's nothing there. So I did. Again, s- sincerely praying that she would go, sad story. Um, but yeah, no, you're not really going to get much uh, out of this. And She called me back and said, we're going to write this book. I'm like, okay, that's strike two. Does anybody here like feel the same way as me or what's the problem? So I started to write and she said in the very beginning, and it still haunts me. I can still hear it in my ears. She's like, writing is rewrite. Just get used to that. And I'm in charge now and you're used to being in charge, but you're not. And the first time I sent her something, she she sent it back and she goes, this is terrible. I go, see, I told you, can't write a book. She goes, oh, nice try. no she goes you just have to learn how to tell the story not verbally but in the written word and um, so I went over it and over and over and I got to tell you Jim you're right it was incredibly frustrating in the beginning until she figured something out and this is Shannon's credit that whole book really is is most of the people's credit was Eileen's idea was Sean's journey it was Ellen having me talk to this, this great D.D. Marks, who was the author and then D.D. giving me Shannon's and now Shannon's going, OK, I figured out your brain, which is a hell of an accomplishment. If you look at it that way. And she said, you put everything in a box. She said, I've, I've worked with I had a military person. who We wrote a book and she said, I finally figured out that's how you think you're paramilitary. So she said, I'm going to put things in a box. So originally, she said just free flow of thought. Just have at it go. Well, that's like pulling up on a fire and going. Okay, do whatever the hell you feel like doing no matter what you see. And once she started to put topics in boxes, then I would write and I had an agenda. And I have to be honest with you. So there were two places that I wrote that I did probably 75% of them. One of them was in the workout room at the firehouse. I would literally get any exercise bike and I would just start dictating based on what the topic was or what chapter it was. And then I would email it to myself and look at the gibberish, obviously, but then go back and try and turn it into something that looked like writing. (laughs) And the second place was an Irish pub, very shocking, I'm sure, for anybody to believe, um, called the Irish legend. And I would go there with my computer, just me alone, because I had been there with my family. And I would try and go through things. I would go there on a Sunday and and just work for an hour or two. um, And at one point, one of the great... Jess, who's one of the attendants there, she came over and she goes, I gotta ask you a question. I go, okay, what? She goes, are you writing a book? I go, do not tell anybody. I go, I don't know that I'm gonna finish this. I don't know where we're gonna be. I said, I'm trying to write a book. And uh, two years of, of putting that in, um, the last draft of it actually went in. I started it on the day that my daughter-in-law went into labor with my first grandchild and the draft got submitted. Uh, Sean's birthday in September 17th of that following year 20 and um, I to this day honestly I look at it and I don't think it's me it I don't know how a guy just she helped me and all those other people I talked about helped me and, and as well as many family and friends who had to read it and reread it and give me feedback um, people close to me who have my back all kind of encouraged me to continue to do it. And if I don't, if I don't have that, I, I quit. Cause I almost quit once, very seriously, almost quit. In fact, I was going to call Shannon on a Tuesday. We had a conference call and go, I'm done. And I'm, I'm exhausted. It was It was incredibly painful to relive, especially when you had to rewrite and rewrite certain parts of my life that I felt much like a failure, that whole taking the cape off. And it kept failing me. And I said, I'm done. Can't do this. We were in the pandemic. We were, I was also the emergency manager for the village. So I was running the fire department and trying to handle that other part of it, flying blind like everybody else. And on Monday, she called. I see her number and I go, oh, maybe I screwed up what day it was going to be. And she said, I have to tell you what happened last night. She said, I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And she said, I, I have a 20-year-old son. I looked down the hallway. I saw him. Figured out, I must have just been leaving the bathroom. She goes, I went to walk in. I heard this, boom. Oh, my God. So she ran in, checked on her husband. Fine. Ran down the hallway, checked on her son. Fine. Goes downstairs, looked around. Certainly something fell over big and broke and nothing. She comes back up to her bed. And she puts her head on the pillow. And she goes, I heard this voice that said, you need to call him. Now, she had plenty of other people that she was working on, and she said that. She goes, but somehow I knew him was you. Why do I need to call you? And I said, okay, well, when you looked down the hallway and you saw that 20-year-old standing in the hallway, I said, did you see his face? And she said, no, it it was his back. It was just a shadow. Okay. I said, well, you don't know this, but when Sean was a little boy, his nickname was Boomer. He said, when we didn't know where he was in the house, we would just get really, really quiet. And then all of a sudden we would hear, boom. And she goes, oh my God, that's the noise. And I go, yeah. I said, that wasn't your son in the hallway. I go, that was mine. And she said, why? Why? Why did he come? And I go, because I was going to call you tomorrow and tell you I'm done. She was like, hell you are. You are not done. Your kid was in my house. She goes, we're finishing this. And if that story doesn't happen, it's probably still on hold. I really believe that. It was it was a kick in the pants I needed from the other side to go you're almost done just keep going and uh, and that's how it got to be it finally came to roost and now it is it's out there and and, uh, and I'm and I'm proud of it I'm proud of it because of the feedback from people who say it's helped them understand mental illness understand grief, understand leadership because it's not just a book about mental health it's about growing as people and kind of cutting yourself some slack because um, we all wear the cape whether you're a teacher or you're a first responder or you're a plumber or you're a dad a mom everybody wears a cape a little bit different but everybody's got one and learning the limitations of what it can do uh, really really important to growing and a lot of that then affects your mental health
0: awesome stuff pat i want to touch on this book um you know this book will there's only so much of you right. And, and by having this book, you don't have to be anywhere and everywhere. And I I think it's important to note after seeing you talk on Monday, I think every time you, you talk and you share this message live, share Sean's Sean's story and Eileen's story and your story. I mean, it takes, I've, I've physically seen it to where what it takes out of you. Yeah. Um, and, and you're just drained and um, this allows you to not be everywhere and, and tell that story. Right. Um, with that being said, when you, when you put yourself out there, I got to know, I know you're, I imagine you're doing this and you know, you're doing a, a, a great thing by sharing it and um, you know, it's powerful. And I know you've had so many different um, special i mean we saw it on monday i mean the you know the individual that spoke out and talked about this stuff um powerful
1: tanner yeah powerful.
0: you know but how do you how do you still recharge after something like this
1: yeah um so a couple of things that was exactly what eileen's intent was um I don't know that she even thought I'd still be doing it at this point. Once the book came out, might be like, okay, this is permission to step back. And and at some point that'll happen. I really believe and I'll know when it is. I don't feel like it's there yet because some of the the book is translating the message. That's why there's multiple things that talks about where you're dealing with mental health, but you're also talking, dealing with leadership. You're dealing with um, how do you go through battle through grief? I mean, there's so many layers in that book that sometimes I have to give you a preview and it's hard to do because you might not get past the beginning of the book. If you feel like this is just too much of a downer, I actually had a book club that's looking at it and they were like, yeah, we kind of voted after the pandemic. We're not going to do any kind of downer books. So I asked the person from the book club, I go, just do me a favor and read it yourself. I'll send you a copy. Don't even pay for it. Don't worry about read it because I go, it should be about hope. It's those signs you're talking about, about resiliency. It's about just watching people's journey, why I, I loved and respected and who taught me so much. It's not, yeah, there's a lot of sad parts in it, but it, but it's not a downer book. And so going out and doing that helps me, but somebody said to me in the very beginning, this must be very therapeutic and it's not. Um, I always, in my mind, have had some injuries from sports and, and the fire service where I've had to go for physical therapy and had a lot of successful outcomes. And to me, therapy is when you're all done, you're all. Almost- 100%. Sometimes you are better than 100%. I'll never be 100% until I can put my arms around both of them. I just won't be. So um, people talk about a new normal. I go, that's not a good term for me either. You know, nothing's normal anymore. After June 3rd, 2006, nothing's normal. And after November 5th, 2016, nothing's normal. It's just going forward, just plotting ahead. So when I get up there, I'm always a mess um, before I start. People people don't see that. I'm just pretty good at hiding it. Never eat. So it's really hard when I do a session in the afternoon because it's like when I play ball, I would get nauseous forever. I played, so I always did it on an empty stomach. I do the same thing when I speak. I'm speaking tomorrow night, so I got to put something in my stomach in the morning, but can't do it. I feel like I'm going to throw up. But then when I start, and it sounds hokey, but I really do feel the moment. Um, or I see them in the back of the room, uh, my dad included, it's like, and when I get emotional, I'm not embarrassed about it, and I get it back, but I can feel them when that pain hits, like, okay, that pain's over with, you don't have that pain anymore, so don't, don't, don't hold on to it, let go of it, and keep going. And when I'm done, the feeling I get is satisfaction, like, you all know who they are in this room, they're not just a name in a book. You have a feeling of who that person is, even though you never met them, you know who they are and you know their journey and so they didn't die in vain. And that was probably and still is the most difficult thing for me to get over and forgive myself about is that I didn't save them. And when they're there and during that talk, I feel like, yeah, this is the way it was supposed to be. Again, I don't like it and I don't agree with it, but it's the way it's supposed to be and I'm not going to let you down feel like i did already i'm not letting you down again so i'll continue to go until somebody whispers in my ear and goes you're all done have to take a break let somebody else take the cape and wear it and uh that time i don't know when it'll come but i, I really believe i'll know i'll know
0: yeah i'm sure <laughs> with everything else everybody else that talked to you and the signs you've seen i'm sure they'll let you know um you kind of touched on it there i think a good segue You mentioned, uh, mentioned an injury back there. And, and this is something you talk about in your book and, and your, and your talks as well. You know, the way we look at physical injuries, uh, cancer and also compared to mental, mental health Mm -hmm. issues as well, mental health injuries, would you, I'm just laying that up to you and you do your thing.
1: So, we were doing the talks for a number of years and, um, actually almost seven at that point. And, um, the message is very strong in my heart. I have a passion for is me- a mental illness is a physical illness, it's not a character deficiency, it's not a weakness, it's not something that somebody chooses no more than a five year old chooses brain cancer. But maybe 25%, maybe a little less than that of the audience. I saw that the light bulb was not going on. It's amazing if you could stand back from where I am and watch people's faces, you can almost tell who's been impacted, either directly or somebody in their family or their firehouse or their business. And they lock in. And when I put the slide up that compares mental illness and physical illness, it's like, they're like, oh my goodness, that's it. Then I saw like about 25% of the audience just felt bad for me and which I appreciate, but I felt like this is a waste. There's gotta be a way we make this more concrete. So that mental health versus physical illness became mental health versus brain cancer. And Eileen and I put that slide together and put it together in 2015. And then in January, 2016, she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I remember when I was sobbing, when she was diagnosed going, did we know, Did I jinx you? Why did we pick that? Why didn't we pick something else? And it was the right thing to pick because truly when people look at mental health, it's a stigma, it's a bad label. Um, People don't wanna talk about it. They they feel that they don't wanna let that vulnerability out. If you're diagnosed as Eileen was with brain cancer, you tell everybody. And everybody comes running as they did, amazing. Her friends and family were just, I mean, the power and the love was, it, that was in this house and is still in this house from what happened was like nothing I had ever seen before, but, but Sean didn't get that. And part of that was my fault because I didn't share it with people. I felt that stigma, not only on him, I felt it on me. I felt if I told the story and how sick he was and multiple suicide attempts and that people would look down on him. But they wouldn't look just down on him. I'm being really honest, they'd look down on me like, what kind of dad are you? You're a big hotshot fire chief, and you get all these awards, and yet you can't take care of your kid. And nothing could be further from the truth. Parents who deal with children who have mental illnesses, um, adults who struggle with it, coworkers who try and push through it, you can't do it any more than you could just go, I'm going to cure cancer myself. You've got to have somebody who takes you by the hand and leads you through it leads you through the treatment, leads you through the help. And we have to be more comfortable with going, that's just as acceptable as if I've got a lump on my breast and I need to go in and find out is this malignant or not. And if it is, here's what we're going to do to make you better. We don't do that when we're depressed or anxious or we struggle bipolar and so many of the diseases that still medicine is trying to figure out, but it's medicine trying to figure it out because it's a chemical in your body that they have no choice over. And so trying to find the right treatment and what's the right medication you take. And it's a, it's a lifelong journey and we don't we don't get it. So we don't get it, we kind of shun it. And usually a human reaction is if you don't understand it, you make up something about it. And unfortunately usually what you make up is something negative. And so part of my mission has always been, I'm gonna smash that stigma. I I'm I'm, did it for myself, so now I'm gonna smash it for you. And the way I do it is I, I hand you two human beings who were incredible. And both of them were terminally ill. And I lost both of them. Well, I didn't lose them, as my son Patrick said, we know exactly where where mom and Sean are, but they're not physically in my life anymore. And I know that that journey was the same for both of them. They both were physically dying. It just, I didn't understand it. I do now. And I try to get that across to people, so they're they're less judgmental. And we're all afraid of being vulnerable. I mean, when anybody who wears the cape is that, that's that's a bad word. I don't I don't want to be vulnerable because there's somehow that's some type of weakness um, in our business as first responders, especially well, any leader really, even if you're the leader in your family. Um, there's a little bit of perfectionism in you, uh, a little bit of Type A personality. Got to get this done. Want to get it over with. Want to see it succeed. I see my kids succeed, I wanna see my spouse succeed. I wanna succeed, I wanna see the people I work with succeed. And when it doesn't happen, we don't go, well, that was the best shot I got and I, it just didn't work. We immediately look here, because we wear the cape and go, you didn't try hard enough. You gotta, gotta push longer, work more hours, do the things. And, and it can put you into a, a cycle of perfectionism and depression because you don't understand why it's not getting any better. You think it's you, and it's not you. So you don't give your permit yourself permission to be vulnerable, and instead you become a perfectionist. And the last thing then is you're you're kind of egotistical. You're afraid to let people into your life. What I always like to say: sometimes you got to take your cape off and hand it to somebody else. Go you wear. It. Um, we don't do that because we feel like if we do that again. We're being we're being weak as a leader, and really you're being strong. You're you're entitling empowering people to go carry me needs you to carry me I can't do it today um many cancer victims are great about doing that going I just need to put my head on the pillow today and you're gonna have to fight for me because I got nothing left but we wouldn't do that for somebody who is mentally ill Said, so I'm really having trouble getting out of bed today and we're like that's just that you're just not trying hard enough and that's just a bunch of bull it's they're both the same
0: you, you mind if I expound on that a little bit sure absolutely I mean, I just think about, well, hell me personally, you know, um, yeah. Getting my diagnosis about a year ago, I got all sorts of cards. I got love from all over the world support. I mean, it was, you know, it was amazing for my cancer stuff. And, uh, I think about exactly what you said, and with people that I know that I've dealt with behavioral health problems and addictions, and I know they didn't get that love.
1: Right.
0: They didn't get that support. In fact, they got alienated. Mm-hmm. People ran away from them. And that is something that I think you talking about this. I mean, that's, that's going to change things. I hope it needs to like those. those hope so
1: too. And I, and I, I always tell people, I go, they ran to you because they could understand a little bit about what your disease was. People don't shun people with mental illness because they don't care about them. They run away from them because they don't understand it and they don't know what to say. And there's a lot of, a lot of examples in the book. Um, At the end of each chapter, again, this is another one that was not my decision, and it's a good thing that I listened to people. Consultant said at the end of each chapter, you need to write lessons learned because somebody may read this book and not be able to relate to it. They've been lucky. Mental health has not been an issue in their family. Um, They haven't lost a parent. They haven't lost a spouse. But all of a sudden, they're going to find out that their neighbor's husband died suddenly of a heart attack, and they have to go to awake, and they don't know exactly what to say. So they don't have time to read 200 pages of your book. They they need to go in the table of contents, find the chapter, loss of a spouse. They don't even have time to read the chapter. They just go to that last page and go, what are the four or five bullet points that I've learned the hard way about what works and what doesn't. I didn't want to do that. I can't tell you how many times people have said, you know, my favorite part of the book is the lessons learned and I have to eat humble pie and call her and go, <laughs> guess what? The favorite part of the book is the thing I didn't want to do, but it, what I found after Sean passed was people would absolutely avoid me. They'd, I'm I'm a volunteer baseball coach, very proud of that for over 20 years. And parents of kids I had coached that I was really close with would see me in the grocery store and it was like they saw a ghost and they literally would dart out of there. Now, it wasn't because they were unfeeling at all towards my pain. They just didn't know what to say. Like, what do you say to somebody who lost their son? What do you say to somebody who lost their son and lost their wife? Like, okay, I... I don't know. I got nothing for you. And the key we, we got to remember, I always tell people is, I don't. you know me, Jim, I'm a hugger. Um, not everybody's a hugger, so I get that. But that human touch that just goes, that much really suck, is enough. Because you can't fix it. That's that whole keep wearing thing of, I got to keep pushing until I fix it. The only person who can fix it is the big guy if he sent them back to me. Nobody else can fix it. So I'm not looking for you to fix it. I'm just looking for you to go i'm sorry and and that is way enough and that human touch somebody puts their arms around me and goes can i give you a hug wow that's every time i do a talk i always say i get one sean hug from somebody who will come up and ask permission and squeeze the hell out of me. <laughs> and when he was really even so depressed in the last two years he always gave me a huge hug and i, I can actually i can feel it right now and when I get that from somebody I always say you're Sean's angel today I go I got my hug from you um the last time I did it a really nice young lady broke down and she goes I'm not really crying because of what you said I go yeah you are um and I go it's great it's it was a it was a connection and I felt that's how I feel his presence when something like that happens and it's good for people to know they don't have to be perfect when they approach somebody who's dealing with that kind of loss or with mental illness just be you and let them know you care, and you will do miles and miles for their recovery and their resiliency.
0: You kind of touched on something there that I wanted to to touch on as well. Um, you talk about Sean's presence when you go and talk, and I know when I first met you in November, you handed me an envelope. Yeah, and you told me, "Open this up, get the stuff out when I start talking." you got it yes sir and and i did just that and it was a eyeglass case with some glasses and, and and a picture of sean and when we saw each other on monday you didn't have that with you
1: right
0: i want to ask if you know if you're seeing sean if you're seeing eileen if you're seeing your dad if you know that they're present Wherever you go, whenever you talk about this stuff, I got to ask, I'm just curious, why did you need something physically from them there as well?
1: It's, it's a great question, because um, not everybody, and I didn't learn this. I, I believe because my sense of loss always is diminished a little bit when I can hold something that' one of the more. Like I have a, my dad played hurling in Ireland's sport that's you know important in that country. And you played it basically in a, in a polo shirt and in shorts. And everything. I still have his shorts from the last game he played. Now I couldn't fit into them. The elastic is gone. There's nothing, but I still have them in the drawer. And I always used to take them with me when I went to promotional exams, I would have them in my briefcase. So I knew it was in the room because when I touch it, feel him, I know he was in it. And same thing for Sean, for Sean, those, those glasses were, he wore those. And he specked them out. He didn't even really need glasses, but he liked the look. And I'm like going, made him happy. So I'm like, I can, I can touch those and I can feel it. And I know he was in a good place when he had these. And, and I had Eileen's picture in there and a couple other things in there. And I felt like I needed to touch that. And I've talked to other people who were like, who had similar or, or much more difficult losses who were like, no, I, I don't I don't need to touch anything. Um, I don't even need to see anything. In fact, it's a little easier for me if I don't and so there isn't any right or wrong way um but for me it's always brought me great comfort to go I know you had this uh almost like a, a a bloodhound who's looking for a scent to try and find somebody it's like okay it's like I still have your scent I still know you're here um because the abstract can be so overwhelming in terms of going not gone and I really do believe I've got all these signs and all this stuff and but I'm human being too. And sometimes it's like, this sucks and really hope that I'm right. And when I get there, you guys will be there.
0: So you had definitely some anxiety and you already talked about how you get anxiety before you talk, right? But there was anxiety you had on Monday and, uh, and it was different. Yeah. But you, you got through your presentation wonderfully again, powerful. I mean, we need a better word than powerful to to describe it how did you feel about afterwards when you know you did that without them without their yeah. physical and just
1: for for the just for the people who are, are listening you may be well, okay what'd you do leave it at home um i did uh i always had sean's glasses i added to that envelope but i always had his glasses since the first presentation i did in june of oh nine i never did one without him and uh i did a presentation here in illinois um In the middle of February, I gave it to a a good friend of mine who lost his wife to cancer. Um, And he handed the envelope back to me. And when we were done and I was at a table selling books, but the staff was hurrying and needed to get their room. And so I said, I'll just run up real quick and change and come back down. No problem. Um, In recounting the steps, at some point, I put them on the table. I always was religious about putting them in my bag. Um, The gentleman remembers. He goes, no, you put them on the table. So I went upstairs came back down finished up packed everything to leave and I I have a cover that I put on the table I remember packing that up and there was nothing on that table so when I realized a week later they were gone I really I felt horrible because I thought I lost them. how in the hell did you do that and then in talking to him he said no it was on the table and so putting two and two together and talking to some local authorities there's a belief that somebody saw me collecting money for books and probably assumed there was something in that envelope and took off with it and uh, then found out it wasn't and probably pitched it. Um, but what you didn't share in the story, Jim, was Jim came up to me and I was, I was beginning to lose it before I even started um, because the reality of going up there feeling like I was alone and I had, I had disappointed them again was starting to really quell inside of me. Um, and he grabbed my hand and he squeezed my hand and he's like, squeeze my hand. And I'm like going, okay, I'm already crying. Do you want to squeeze my hand so I'm going to cry some more? He said, remember, I had that envelope in my hand. So they're right here. Um, so powerful. like That was an incredible connection. And, and I took that up there with me. And I go, yeah, you don't need that here. They're here. So, so get over it and go do what you need to do. And so when I finished, I went up to my room and I had a good cry. Um, and I, went, I came to the realization that if there's some miracle and they come back, Somebody finds them and mail them, great. But if they don't, they serve the purpose. They got me to where I needed to be for as long as I needed to do it. And I don't need it anymore. And uh, sometimes the only way that works to let go of it is you gotta get hit over the head and somebody's gotta take it away from you. And in this case, that's that's what happened. And uh, so now I go forward and we'll, we'll see where we go. But it, I I think the biggest lesson for me was, yeah. These are still concrete things that are disposable here. Just like these bodies are disposable here, but that doesn't mean that that the spirit is gone. And uh, maybe I needed to learn that lesson. again.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. No, I kind of put you on well, the spot Thank you there. for what
1: you did that day. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't going up there would have been bad if I couldn't even say my name. People would be like, well, we need to get some help for this guy right away. Cause it's not good.
0: No, I, I've, I'm again, I'm, it was meant to be that I was there. Right. right. That. Why
1: did I give you the envelope when we were in Ohio? And why did, did you, why did you come? Why were you at this thing this particular day? You could have been on duty. You could have had a family thing. You could have. Um, and why did I tell you? Cause I didn't really tell anybody else because I thought I figured I'd lose it before I started, but I knew I could trust you. So that's, that's what I mean about somebody would go, well, that's a really nice coincidence. Like bull, not, yep. no coincidence. <laughs> For sure. You were the angel that needed to help me that day. And uh, they set it up.
0: That's, that's a lot. Yeah. But uh, it's good though. It's it good is stuff. good. It is good. I want to go back to your book if you don't mind, but I want to actually talk about uh, instead of the written word, the spoken word. Yeah. So you ended up doing a, um, Oh, what is it? A- audible. Like actually movie. recording it and you need to get a, a voice actor. It's not morgan freeman it's no patrick. <laughs> certainly not <laughs> patrick j kenny um yeah. you know i i've gone back and i've looked at the previous articles that i wrote and i'm like uh you know i regrets i have a few oh sure um what was it like going through this entire book um with a little bit of time not a lot of the time but some time has passed and and actually now you're reading it
1: right so again um now my i didn't make that promise to Eileen. um so i was trying to talk my way out of that one too and uh and we don't have enough time for all the things that fell into place in order for that to occur again loads of signs and uh young man named Dino from, that's got a, uh, his own business from Zolka Media, who's a firefighter paramedic who just became a part of Sean's team where this thing doesn't occur. And in terms of me reading it, if Shannon doesn't go, it's gotta be you, it's gotta be your voice. People are gonna wanna hear it. When they read it, they're gonna wanna hear it from you. Um, and you don't have to be a professional reader. You just do the best you can. And I, like we did started it in March, Um End of last year and I was like well okay this is a piece of cake we we don't want this thing by the first of May and uh yeah little did I know as they all laughed at me um each section if it was if it was informational I might get through a chapter if it was emotional I might get through pages and then I couldn't do it anymore um I finished the book came out in November we started the first week of March so there was a break there an emotional break I thought but it wasn't um it was like reliving it it was almost worse verbally than it was written in um so it was over and over redo go back um Dino again who was was the audio man was like I don't want this to be perfect because if people hear it and it's perfect they're going to go that's not him because he's he's just a firefighter how the hell is he going to be perfect at doing this so you'll find when you listen to it it's not perfect um, but in terms of voice quality and making sure people heard exactly what I was saying in the message, there were parts we had to redo. Um, and I'd have to get up and walk around or sometimes I'd have to go to have a good cry and sometimes come back and go, we're done for the day. Cause I'd start to speak and get on his equipment like voice quality's down, you just don't have it anymore. And uh, it was hard. It was, it was like this never ending battle to get it finished. And, but I kept being told so many people today don't even buy the hard copy of a book they do it on the audio they're on the way to work they're on an airplane they're riding their exercise bike whatever it is and i thought okay i'm gonna miss that audience i'm gonna miss sean's audience and for some of the people who've listened to it who also read the book we're like i'm glad i did both because each one of them gives me something different in the in the hard copy of the book you've got those lessons learned you can look up right away in the audio you'd have to kind of search through it but they're like but in the audio We hear you. And now those words mean even something more powerful than reading it. And uh, so I'm I'm glad it's over. (laughs) I'm glad I did it, but I'm glad it's over. Uh, And I'm I'm hoping people get something out of it and and that they'll find some in one version or the other or both that they find a little bit of a gift to that message of who who Sean was and what he stood for and, and how Eileen supported that whole mission.
0: Perfect sounds like there's benefits to both.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I believe so.
0: Awesome. Well, I got to ask you, we'll kind of close it up here. What's next. What's next oh, for Patrick J. Kenny. What happens after, uh, you know, St. Patty's day this week.
1: So, uh, I have a number of engagements for, for the, for the rest of the year, people have been very kind about asking me to come. Um, I didn't do a very good job last year. I retired in January, and I really did a terrible job of organizi- organization because I felt like I had I had handed my cake back in, and I was lost. I really wasn't. I was Patrick J. Kenny, but who, who the hell was that? And I struggled. I was depressed the first few months. Uh, don't retire in Illinois in January because it's pitch black. and know you decide on when you're going to shovel the damn sidewalk, but um, I had to find that that niche again and part of it was going back out and and speaking but when I do it now people go are you going to write another book are you gonna, what are you going to do next and I'm like can I just be like done maybe I can just be like done and Shannon has had some suggestions for me um the the thought about doing kind of a workbook because I'll get a lot of feedback from people who go okay we don't really have a program where should we start can we use the book as like a guide and can could you give something that's more Constructive or instructive about how you do that. That that's a thought. Um, is there a sequel to it? I don't know that you could write a sequel to it. God, I don't want any more suffering, so I don't want to, I don't want to put any more sequel in there. Is there? Could there be one more that's more powerful about the resiliency and how do you go on and what are so many positive things that have happened to me um, after each one of these losses? That's a possibility. I got to tell you, the thought of sitting down writing another book though scares the hell out of me. Um, sure, I, I, I would have the stomach for it, but I don't know. The one thing I will tell you, and it's been very true and it's always worked for me, I just really pray and say, tell me what you want me to do. And I know that might sound very trite, but it's happened to me. Either I'll get a sign or I will literally hear or I will have a dream. It's not a dream. I call it a vision because dreams you kind of half remember or half feel. When I get those, it's like, holy, hang on. I don't know what that was, but I know what I'm supposed to do or what it meant to me. And I talked to a number of people who've gotten it. It's not just me. And that's what I'm waiting for is the aha moment. So in the meantime, it's like, move forward, keep giving your talks, get feedback from people on the book, use that feedback to maybe lead you where you go, see what the feedback you'll get from Audible, see if that's where maybe you should go. Or maybe someday it'll just be like, hey, you did okay. So why don't you stand down and Hand your cape to somebody else and let them go ahead and do it. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm going to know. I just don't have a clue what it's going to be. Because if you had told me four years ago, I would have a web page. I would have an audible book. I would I would tell you you are nuts, and I didn't agree to any part of that. I only agreed to one thing, and I did it. And I don't need the rest of that stuff. So um, if people wanted, it, speaking of which, if people want to get a hold of me, if they have an idea, like hey, we had an idea, what you should do next. First of all, let me make clear. I am not promising. I'm going to do what you tell me I should do next. Um, but if people have an idea, if you go to the website, patrickjkenny.com and you look, that's where you could get me to speak. But it's also where you can give feedback. There's an email address and I do read all of them. Um, if you want to give feedback or you want to give feedback to Jim um, through the program, any way that you think of something and go, hey, have you ever thought about this? Because um, if Eileen doesn't say it, I never thought about writing a book about Sean's journey, so I'm my ears are all open.
0: Perfect. He did my job there at the end, <laughs> closing everything down. Where to find you? All this kind of stuff.
1: That's okay. You can, like I said, this. I, I'll finish with this one thing, and then then you need to know. So the cover, people always ask me about the cover. They're like, is that you? Uh, no. So when Eileen was, was were in her final hours, said. You just need to reach for Sean. He's on the other side. He'll pull you across. And at that point, her left arm was paralyzed. She couldn't use it, but she, right hand, she could. But when she held your hand, she would squeeze the hell out of it. And you literally would have to peel her fingers back because she had all these tumors in her brain. But when she squeezed it, you felt that power. So when the cover was being designed, you talk about putting a book together. I didn't know that either. I looked through over 300 covers. And you get them from around the world. And I know nothing about this. I can't draw a stick person. And I'm like, I don't know, I, somebody pick a cover. And I looked at all these and I'm like, Shannon said, when you see it, you'll know it. And there was no cover that was designed like this. So that, that arm, that firefighter is Sean, I always said, he, he wrote when he was 10 and a half years old, someday I'll grow up and be a firefighter. And I never got to see that. That right hand grip looks just like my wife's hand at the end. And so that is him reaching across and he's got the cape, not me. And he's pulling his mom across. So that's what, that's what that's about. And so if that motivates you to get it, to see it, to learn about it, to share your own and what I can do better, I'm I'm all in.
0: Powerful is the word of the day. I feel like it's probably the word of the day every day with you. No,
1: no, no. Pathetic. Sometimes <laughs> it's the word of the day.
0: Doubt that very much again. It's always a pleasure to see you, whether it's live or virtual. I can't do the, that big hug, but uh, still, I I thank you for getting out there, uh, putting yourself out there more than anything um, over and over and over again uh, for the greater good of just everybody. Um, Well, I
1: appreciate the opportunity. And I've been very blessed to make friends like yourself that I would have never met if, this journey hadn't been there so there's a lot when people go I feel really bad for you and the life you've had I'm like yeah I wouldn't choose it but I also have so many incredible positives that have been a direct result of both of their lives and them being I was very lucky to have that woman for a wife and I was very lucky to have that boy for a son and uh it's it's paid incredible positives to me even when they're they're up there celebrating St. Patrick's day in heaven. Cause I bet they have a green keg of beer up there in, in St. Patrick.
0: Nice. All right. So once again, retired chief Pat Kenny, you can find him at patrickjkenney.com, read his book, taking the Cape off. You can listen to the audible. If you have a chance to see him live, please do so. And uh, once again, as always, thank you for your time. We all appreciate you.
1: Thanks, Jim. Thanks for your friendship, too. I appreciate the time.